Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 6, Episode 2. Last week, I kicked off the summary of the book of Deuteronomy with the first four chapters of the book. These are thought to represent Moses' first address to the Israelites, at least the first of three, as he knew he was about to hand off leadership to Joshua. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up in Deuteronomy 5, which is the beginning of his second address to the people. And with that, let's get started. Moses' second address begins with a restating of the Ten Commandments. And there are differences between what was recorded in Exodus and that in Deuteronomy, but most of these are really minor. For example, Exodus reads, Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. While Deuteronomy records, Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long, and that it may go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Both from the New Revised Standard Version. The NIV and King James show similar differences. The first difference is nothing more than the statement that they had previously been given the commandment. And the second difference was a promise that if they did honor their parents, it would go well when they finally did settle in the promised land. Not a major difference at all. The commandment about the Sabbath had larger differences. Exodus reads, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And in Deuteronomy it records, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Exodus says to remember the Sabbath and Deuteronomy to observe. Deuteronomy expands on livestock by adding ox and donkey and slaves are treated slightly differently between the two passages. But the biggest difference is that the passage in Deuteronomy reminds the people that they had once been slaves too, and that God freed them. Other translations treat it all differently too. In the Septuagint, which may have been translated from a different source Hebrew text, it has a different order for the murder, adultery, and theft commandments. The Samaritan Bible also has different Ten Commandments, which includes a commandment to worship God on Mount Gerizim, which is located in the city of Shechem. Chapter 5 wraps up with recounting of how the commandments were delivered on stone tablets to Moses and the reaction of the elders. 
Moses reminds the people that their forefathers had been fearful of the voice of God and asked Moses to speak to God in a manner that the people couldn't hear it, then relay what God tells him to them. Essentially, they were asking Moses to act as an intermediary between the people as a whole and God. Moses then tells of how God overheard what the people told him and agreed that they were right in what they asked Moses to do. God then gives Moses the remaining hundreds of laws. He warns the people to keep the commandments and other statutes, specifically to follow them exactly, so that God will honor his part of the covenant. If they do, then it may go well with them, and they may live long in the land that they are to possess. And that's it for chapter 5. Chapter 6, at least in the New Revised Standard, begins with the header, The Great Commandment. The NIV is less dramatic and more succinct, titling the next two paragraphs as, Love the Lord your God. The King James has no such title, but the lack of headers is very typical for that translation. All of this leads to Moses telling the people what is probably the most important point of his message. He begins with this typical warning, Do this so that God keeps his side of the covenant. He also instructs the people that they are to teach this to their children. After capturing their attention and building to his point, he gives them the commandment. He tells the people, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In the Jewish religion, this part is called the Shama and is considered one of the most important prayers in the faith. Observant Jews consider the Shema to be the most important part of the prayer service in Judaism, reciting it twice daily as a mitzvah, meaning as a religious commandment. It is traditional for Jews to say the Shema as their last words, and for parents to teach their children to say it before they go to sleep at night. Then, something you may have noticed, over a thousand years after Moses' address, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, Jesus essentially quotes Moses, All better said by Mark and Jesus than I could ever do. So I'll quote, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question.
Circling back to Deuteronomy 6, Moses continues with his warnings about what will happen if the people stray from God, and focuses on the worship of false deities, telling them if they do, God will wipe them from the face of the earth. He reminds them of what happened at Massah, where the people argued with Moses about the lack of water, and wondered out loud if God was really with them. Moses pointed out that they needed to trust and have faith in God. There's also a bit of foreshadowing. The people are told that when they enter the promised land of Canaan, the houses they will occupy will be there waiting on them, fully stocked with the riches of the prior residence. Essentially, you will gain all the usual spoils from a vanquished enemy. Vineyards, olive groves, full cisterns, large cities, they will want for nothing. The overriding message is clear. Obey, and you will not only live, but be rewarded. And that's chapter 6. Chapter 7 begins with Moses listing out the peoples the Israelites will drive from Canaan. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. He then tells the people that these nations are each individually stronger than them, so they must lean on God. And all of these nations must be utterly destroyed. The Israelites cannot show any mercy. You would think that if they were utterly destroyed, the next part would have been unnecessary. But he says anyway. They cannot allow their children to intermarry with the defeated, or they will be tempted to follow their false gods. Instead, as part of the destruction, they are to break down their altars, smash their pillars, cut down their sacred poles, and burn their idols with fire. Moses continues to remind the people that they will be blessed if they obey God. Moses then tells Israel why God chose them. Despite that they were smaller in population than so many of their contemporary nations, he chose them because of his centuries earlier covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all found in Genesis. Then, he anticipates that they will be hesitant when they face the current occupants of Canaan. Of course, this feeling was well-founded, as this was the reaction of their ancestors when the spies returned from Canaan nearly 40 years earlier. Moses tells them, once again, to rely on God. He had delivered their forefathers from Egypt, a country that was much mightier than they were, and he will do the same with their enemies to come. He then tempers their expectations, telling them, The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You will not be able to make a quick end of them. Otherwise, the wild animals would become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great panic until they are destroyed. Moses wraps up the chapter with a stern warning against the Israelites having anything to do with any of the Canaanites' religions, once again telling them to burn anything associated with it. Even their gold and silver idols, to not give in to the temptation of keeping those relics, as valuable as the precious metals may have been, and that's it for 7. Chapter 8 is Moses' continued reiteration that God will provide for the Israelites as long as they are obedient. He reminds them of how God provided the wandering tribes with manna for food, a food they had never seen before, a food that gets mentioned twice in the chapter. 
Then, one of the more quoted Bible verses, he tells the people that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He proceeds through a list of the many ways God provided for them in the wilderness. The clothes on their backs did not wear out, and their feet did not swell in the forty years. But they will be disciplined if they disobey. You would think that they would have gotten the message by now. But remember, the past several decades had proven they were truly a stiff-necked people. Then the narrative tells them what they will find in Canaan. A good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. The copper mention is new. Other than a singular figurative reference in Leviticus, this is the first real notation of the metal, and helps to place this as part of being in or after the Copper Age. In the Middle East, the Copper Age is thought to have arrived between 7000 and 5000 BC, when the first evidence of the mining of the metal can be found in the region. So, well before Moses spoke. But copper was also necessary for the production of bronze, and therefore needed for the Bronze Age, which was well developed by the age of Moses. This copper, the mining Moses spoke of, was then necessary for their bronze implements, axes, weapons, art, all of the usual suspects. And, just like Moses has said, there are ancient bronze mines all throughout the region. Back in Deuteronomy, Moses again reminds the people not to forsake God, this time after they received the blessings from him, and again not to worship false deities that they will surely encounter, ending the chapter with the oft-repeated warning, God will strike them down if they stray. And the repetition seems a bit tiring to us, especially when found in a written form. But keep in mind that for the vast majority of the people hearing the message, they were illiterate, and it had to be spoken to them. And repetition helps memorization. To us, if we forget what we read, we can always just flip back a few pages. Not in that society, time, or place. And that's it for chapter 8. 9 isn't tremendously different from the previous several chapters. Rewards, punishments, covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can't take on these mighty giants without God. God is giving them the land not because they are righteous, but because the Canaanites are evil. Then, there's a recounting of the golden calf incident. When Moses descended the mountain, tablets in hand, and saw for himself what the Israelites were doing, he then broke the tablets that had the law. He broke the law. Moses also reminds the people of the incident at Taborah, where the Israelites complained about Moses. And he reminds them of Massa again. And of Kadesh Barnea, when the spies returned, and the masses refused to trust God and proceed into Canaan. All of these incidents when Moses tells the people that he had to intercede on their behalf to avoid God's wrath. 
over and over again. What's implied, but not said, is that he knows he's leaving and not going to be there for them in the future. So, they need to get the message now. Obey and be rewarded. Disobey and be destroyed. And that's chapter 9. Remember in the last episode when I said that Deuteronomy translated to second law? You should know by now why. But if not, there's chapter 10, which is where Moses retells the people of how they were given a replacement set of commandments after he broke the first ones during the golden calf incident. So, the first laws on a second set of stone tablets told for the second time. The chapter also retells of the creation of the Ark of the Covenant, Aaron's death, his son Eleazar succeeding him as the high priest, and the Levites assuming the role of priest. Obviously, we already knew this, and the order is different from the much earlier narrative, but this chapter is a very condensed history of the creation of the Levite priesthood. At the end of the chapter, Moses attempts to sum up what it is that God wants from them. He tells the people to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. Moses then tells the people what God is like. God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. And what does this mean to the people? They should try to be more like him. They should love the stranger, for they were strangers in the land of Egypt. They should fear the Lord and only worship him. They should cling to him. God has done great things for them. At the end of chapter 10, Moses then reminds them that when Jacob and sons and their families went to Egypt, there were only 70 of them. Now they are as numerous as the stars in heaven. And this should sound familiar, as this is what God promised Abraham. Chapter 11 is the continued reiteration of their history since leaving Egypt, and how God was responsible for everything good that happened to them, in spite of their continued disobedience. Moses offers up example after example of God's intervention, how he drowned the Pharaoh's pursuing charioteers in the Red Sea. Moses reminds the people of what happened to Dathan and Abiram when they led a rebellion, that they, along with their families, were swallowed up by the earth, a warning to obey God. Like the structure of his speech so far, there is the reminder of what God has done for them, a warning of what will happen if they disobey, and a promise of what they will receive if they are obedient. In this case, they will live long enough in the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that they are about to enter to occupy is not like the land of Egypt, from which they came, where they sowed their seed and irrigated by foot, like a vegetable garden. But the land they are crossing over to occupy was a land of hills and valleys, watered by rain from the sky, a land that God looks after. And if there was any question about what Moses meant when he said that God looks after the land, he answers it in the next section. 
As long as the Israelites obey every commandment, God will provide the rain necessary for both their crops and livestock. Crops of grain, grapes, and olives. But if they turn away from God, he will be angered, and no rain will fall, the crops will fail, and the livestock will die. He tells them, again, to heed what he has said, to put his words in their hearts and souls, to teach them to their children, to write them on their doorposts, on their houses and gates. We've been told all of this before, along with the pledge of all the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If only they obey, if only they lean on God, if only they worship only Him, if only. Moses is direct enough to tell them his message is both a blessing and a curse. The blessing is associated with Mount Gerizim and the curse with Mount Ebel. Both of these peaks are on the west bank of the Jordan, so only accessible after they cross the Jordan and enter Canaan. They will play a role later in the book, but I'll get to that when I get to that. For now, no both mountains are looming in their future. And that's it for chapter 11, which is considered the halfway point of Moses' second address to the Israelite people, and a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with the second part of this address. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.